Hello and welcome to this particular live stream. My name's Tom Rablick and thank you for joining me. Now, one of the biggest issues over the years has been the secrecy of governments across the board, whether it be, you know, the Australian government on a range of matters to do with international affairs or the US government to do with issues such as the one we're going to be talking about uh, with Ross Coulthard, a journalist and a television reporter who's looked at the existence of and the questions about un unidentified flying objects. His recent book, In Plain Sight, deals with the issue of the emergence of an admission that there are things such as UFOs. And it leaves open quite a few questions about how you deal with you know, governments and government disclosures when you know that, you know, Governments may have been playing games in the past and they're only prepared to fess up to them now. Ross, uh, Ross Coulthard joins me uh, to talk about this. Um, Ross, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure. Now, it, before we begin uh, looking at the UFO thing, you've had an extensive career in journalism and I've followed it back when I was a bit younger with, with less grey hair on, when you were on the Sunday program. Um, what if you had to describe your career on the back of an envelope for someone who wasn't acquainted with you, what would it look like? Uh, I've worked in journalism for 35, 36 years uh, in Australia and overseas. Um, I've worked in newspapers, Sydney Morning Herald, uh, ABC, Four Corners, where I was a reporter. I've worked at the Sunday program at Channel 9. I worked with Jan Event on A Current Affair, the Mike Willisey program. I've worked, I've written for The Australian. I've worked for uh, Channel 9's 60 Minutes and Channel 7's Sunday Night and Spotlight programs. And uh, I'm clinging on with my fingernails in the declining free-to-air television industry, hoping that we can continue to tell stories for a good few years to come. You've, been, you've had some extraordinary yarns you've worked on over the years and the one you're talking to a lot of people about at the moment is fascinating when where do you begin to start researching unidentified flying objects and the way governments have dealt with it okay let's let's deal first with the way that people respond when you talk about ufos people kind of like this ironic smile comes across people's faces and they kind of smirk they feel yeah. the need to giggle maybe have a little play with tinfoil hats or um, play x-files music um, as a society we're very uncomfortable talking about the phenomenon of ufos so much so that i actually prefer the the tag uaps which is what a lot of people in the united states are now starting to use that's unidentified aerial phenomena now we all know that for the last 70 plus years there's been regularly in the media popular culture sightings of strange objects in our skies and what we've been told particularly since the late 1960s as a result of a, a u.s air force project called project blue book is that we don't need to worry ourselves with this phenomenon because it's largely misidentifications that the public are more often than not shockingly bad witnesses. We're deluding ourselves if we think that it's anything paranormal or exceptional. It's certainly not little green men in spaceships. 
and stop worrying yourself about it. It's not a national security issue. It's not a flight safety issue. And that's been pretty much the modus operandi of the US Air Force, the Australian Air Force, military, government and defence commentators for pretty much the last 50, 60 years. What people don't realise is that in the short period after World War II, until around about the mid to late 50s, there were very senior people in the US military, mainly Navy people. Uh, There was a guy called Admiral Roscoe Hellencotter, who was the founding director of the Central Intelligence Agency, um, a former very senior officer on the USS Missouri during World War II, a highly decorated combat veteran of the Pacific Campaign, hugely respected um, naval officer. And he and others spoke publicly about their concern that there was a phenomenon that was being seen in the skies in America and around the world that could not be explained. It was a genuine anomalous phenomenon. Then what happened in the late 60s as a result of Project Blue Book is the public was given this standard line that UFOs, whatever they are, are misidentifications most of the time can be prosaically explained most of the time. There's no real mystery. You can ridicule them, stigmatise them, treat them with the taboo they deserve. Let's get on with your life and ignore them. Then everything changed. It turned out that the Pentagon was secretly investigating the phenomenon all along. It's never stopped. And it's a mystery that confounds people in the defence and intelligence establishment of the United States, even today. And the New York Times, the world's probably most eminent newspaper, in December of 2017 went public with a story that revealed the existence of a secret Pentagon UFO investigation program. There were quite literally people being funded inside the Defence Department to investigate unidentified aerial phenomena. And what they were finding was very, very concerning and worrying for them. And I've spoken to people on this investigation team. And there was a focus, at least in the beginning, on incidents that had taken place involving aircraft carrier battle groups that were rehearsing for Middle East war conflict off the east and west coast of the United States. The first incident was in 2004, involving the aircraft carrier, the USS Nimitz, one of the largest aircraft carriers in the US fleet. And pilots flying F-A-18 fighter aircraft off the USS Nimitz were directed to a certain set of grid points where people operating the combat weapons system radar, these phased array radars on the USS Princeton, a very sophisticated guided missile destroyer with absolutely top-of-the-line sensor systems, had been picking up for days anomalous objects hovering, stationary in some cases, at 80,000-plus feet. 80,000 plus feet is getting on towards the the curvature of the Earth. It's getting on towards orbit. And we don't have a lot of craft in the human arsenal that can go up that far. Obviously, there's weather balloons, but even they move. They very rarely stay stationary at those kind of speeds because there are enormous winds up there in that top part of the atmosphere. We have SR-71 U-2 aircraft, spy aircraft, but they have to move, otherwise they fall out of the sky. 
we have rocket telemetry and um, uh, occasionally drones, but we don't have anything that can stay stationary in the sky like these objects. And so the USS Princeton was keeping a very close eye on these objects because they were about to deploy an entire battle carrier force in this area of closed sky to rehearse for war in the Middle East. And one guy, Kevin Day, who was a chief, master chief in the US Navy, looked at his radar and he was really worried because one of these objects came down to 28,000 feet. So they directed Dave Fravor, a F-18 pilot, to go to that grid point and have a look at what he saw. And he took his wingman, a woman named Alex Dietrich, in another jet, and she followed him and she stayed at 28,000 feet while he vectored down, spiralling down towards the surface of the water, 80,000 feet below, 30,000 feet below. And what he could see was a kind of a disturbance on the water. And then as he got closer, he saw this, as he describes it, cylindrical tic-tac peppermint-shaped object about the size of a small bus flitting across the surface of the ocean. And as Dave says, it was no known propulsion technology. He put his at Fleur, his forward-looking infrared imaging systems across it. It had no heat source. There was no visible propulsion system. There were no wings. There were no ailerons. Frankly, there was nothing to indicate that it was capable of standard known human flight. But it was flying, and it was flying in extraordinary ways. It was flitting instantaneously from one point of the sky to another. So he spiralled down towards it. As he spiralled down towards it, it it clocked him. And it was clearly intelligently controlled because as he was at 12 o'clock, it was at 6 o'clock. As he vectored around in his spiral to 3 o'clock, it was at 9 o'clock. And very slowly, the two objects came closer and closer and closer together until Dave was on one side of the circle and it was on the other, and then he decided to zoom across the clock in his fighter jet. And at that very moment, the object just went instantaneously. And this was clocked on multiple sensor systems across this entire battle fleet. There's a lot of sceptics who've been going, ah, oh, there was something wrong with the sensors that day. You know, there was a glitch in the radar. That's rubbish. Um, the US Navy, I'm told, has reviewed all of its data and it is incapable of prosaic explanation what Dave Fravor and his wingman saw. They saw an anomalous object doing speeds of tens of thousands of kilometres an hour, exerting G-forces of 12,000 plus Gs, impossible manoeuvres and G-forces for any terrestrial pilot or indeed any airframe. The most an airframe, a known aerospace airframe, can sustain is around about 17 to 19 Gs. The most Gs a human can pull as a, a passenger in a, such a craft is around about 9 or 10 Gs. Beyond that point, and certainly at the point of 12,000 Gs, it turned into soup. So these sightings, as the New York Times revealed, were recorded on video. And more importantly, they were recorded on multiple phased array radar sensor systems, irrefutable movements of solid objects through space, tracked by independent radar systems across an entire aircraft carrier battle fleet, witnessed by multiple sets of eyeballs, good old-fashioned human eyeballs. 
This has continued right through to 2014-15 when the USS Theodore Roosevelt had similar experiences off the east coast of the USA. And I'm in touch with people in the um, US Navy who tell me that these sightings are continuing off the Virginia coast, the east coast of the United States. Something anomalous has been taking a very close interest in the United States military's top aircrafts, their top aircraft carrier battle systems. And for the first time in April 2020, the Pentagon did a complete backflip from those statements that had been made in Project Blue Book. They acknowledged that they could not prosaically explain the videos, the YouTube videos that were leaked to the New York Times that turned out to be official Defence Department videos of what are called the Tic Tac, the Go Fast, and the Gimbal UAPs. They're now synonymous, if you like, with the acknowledged anomalous mystery that the United States military, as of April 2020, formally admitted is real. And then, as a result of those revelations in the New York Times and pressure placed by different individuals, including former directors of the CIA, former director of national intelligence, and indeed congressmen such as Republican um, Senator Marco Rubio, who was a former chairman of the Senate Uh, Intelligence Committee, one of the most powerful committees in the Congress, and then his successor, the Democrat Senator Mark Warner, again, the new chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee. The Congress asked, or rather ordered, I suspect, the Pentagon to provide a report through the Office of the Director of National Intelligence on UAPs, UFOs. And that report was tendered on the 28th of June this year, just a month or so ago. And the report, even though it's written in the vaguest and the dullest possible language, is quite momentous. Because in a complete reversal from what was said in the Project Blue Book 60 years ago, that this is no national security issue, that there is no flight safety issue, that these can be prosaically explained, the Pentagon essentially formally admitted that there have been 144 such incidents that they're aware of since 2004 that are incapable of prosaic explanation. There is a mystery, there is an anomaly, there is a phenomena doing incredible things that appears to be intelligently controlled. They're not saying it's extraterrestrial, but they do acknowledge the possibility that it is. So that's where we are. It's interesting. Will you you consider the way in which we deal with unknown um, and the fact that the military in the US is prepared to admit that, that, that there's a lot of unknown here. Um, to what extent have people that have spoken to you about this entertained that um, some of this could be uh, you know, military adversaries who've developed technology that isn't known or that the US doesn't have? Okay. There are a multitude of senior, former and serving officials in the US military defence intelligence services who have said publicly that this is not American technology and it is not known Russian or Chinese technology. 
They've acknowledged that in their belief, this is not either American or that of their rivals. Now, I'm, I'm taking that with a grain of salt because, you know, if you're America and you've got a brand new aerospace technology, you're not going to reveal it publicly to people unless you absolutely have to. You'd save it for a rainy day in the event that one of your your enemies tries to confront you and then you pull it out of the locker and you use it against them. So I do concede there is the possibility that there may be a terrestrial explanation for this. Nobody's saying categorically that these are aliens or little green men. And this is one of the straw men that a lot of the skeptics put up. They say, ah, oh, these crazy people, they're all talking about aliens. Nobody is. But what what is being acknowledged formally, officially by the Pentagon is that there is a legitimate mystery. And the significance of it is awesome because one, the officials are admitting it's intelligently controlled. That's important. The officials are also admitting that it's displaying characteristics, flight characteristics, speeds, manoeuvres, far beyond known human technology. I'm not kidding. They are saying that whatever this technology is, it is so advanced, it is probably hundreds if not thousands of years in the future. They talk about how the only way they can describe in known science, what this technology represents is it appears to be using anti-gravitics. It appears to be capable of making itself completely stealthy, literally non-observable anywhere on the electromagnetic spectrum. It appears to be capable of perceiving before human beings can perceive it where we're going to be. Like one of the phenomenon that was especially spooky in the USS Nimitz incident was that Commander Fravor was told to return to his cap point, which after such an engagement is a point where it's only known, it's a grid reference point at an altitude only known to the pilots that are being briefed in the briefing room. It's not written down anywhere, it's not transmitted over a signal. And yet when he was told to return to his cap point, he got a message on his radio from the USS Nimitz where they were saying, sir, you're not going to believe this, but it's at your cap point. And so the object with which he'd engaged 60 miles distant and then disappeared as he was trying to engage it, let him know that when he was returning to that secure point, that cap point, it knew what that cap point was. It's almost as if it was playing games with him, being a trickster. And as many of these people have told me privately, this is an absolute game changer for the notions of American military hegemony, for the whole principles that have dominated since the end of World War II of America, the United States, essentially you know, no matter what people say about the Russians and the Chinese having technology, we've always been assured that the Americans will enjoy military dominance, especially in the skies. Their aerospace technology has for decades been light years ahead of the Russians and the Chinese. So whilst there is the possibility that what this is, is some secret Chinese or Russian technology that's being deployed against the US, it's inexplicable that they do it in the manner in which they're doing it. Um, and that's why people in the defense and the military and intelligence service in the, in the US are telling me they don't think that this is indeed a, oh, excuse me for one moment. Uh, 
Tom, I apologise. I've just got to let somebody in. Let me see. Sorry about that, Tom. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's always the remote possibility that there is another nation state which has achieved a quantum leap breakthrough in technology. But I think that's incredibly unlikely uh, because numerous people have told me and numerous people have said publicly that, that they don't think that this is Russian or Chinese and that they think they would know if the Russians and the Chinese had developed such a quantum leap development in technology. Because what this is, is, and, and people are slowly beginning to realize the significance of this, it, it is mind-blowing what this technology is capable of. It, it's, it's essentially a technology that is capable of anti-gravitic propulsion, speeds that suggest very strongly that it is capable of distorting space-time, that, that what may in fact be being talked about here is something that has achieved what is currently only in principle in quantum physics, that, that essentially uh, the object may in fact be distorting space-time with a space-time bubble, uh, compressing space-time in front of the object and uh, expanding it behind the object, which at the moment is only a principle in quantum physics. And uh, I think Ultimately, uh, it remains to be seen what it is, but there's a mystery there that needs to be explained, and the United States has formally admitted that it is a mystery. I mean, as recently as this morning, uh, Jim Semivan, a former head of clandestine operations inside the CIA, a very former, very senior former executive in the Central Intelligence Agency, a man you know cleared to know all the secrets. Jim's basically said publicly in an interview that he did this morning that he doesn't think that this is Russian, Chinese, or American technology. And this is why I think the rest of the mainstream media is just in a real scramble at the moment to even begin to try to catch up with the implications of this. We are in a completely new paradigm. This is a complete game changer to, to what's come before. The Pentagon has made admissions that are completely revolutionary. One of the important issues that comes from what you've just said um, is how you as a journalist or how journalists more generally need to approach such such a task because if, you, if you've never seen something before if it doesn't match up with your known universe what do you do okay look my, my feeling at the moment is that the um i feel very strongly that the mainstream media is still treating the mystery of uaps with kind of woo-woo and ridicule and that's been the way it's been treated. In fact, that's the way we were acculturated to treat it by the CIA, no less, in the 1960s. People don't realise that the reason why the mass media treats this subject with ridicule and stigma is because the American government set it out to encourage the media to do so 60 years ago. 
Um, people don't realise that the reason why news editors and uh, executive producers of TV programmes treat the subject with ridicule and contempt is because the CIA basically set out as a deliberate policy to encourage that. But if I ask, I mean, I have asked, I've asked editors of newspapers who are friends of mine, executive of TV programmes, I've said, why do we giggle when we talk about UAPs? And they go, oh, I don't know, really? You know, why do we? Because the situation has changed. We're in a completely new paradigm at the moment where the media hasn't quite caught up with the implications of what the Pentagon has now officially admitted. And you still get a few hardened skeptics who go around saying, oh, you know, there must be some glitch in the radar. There must be some issue with the technology that means that we're picking up false signals. That's not the case at all. And the officials that I've spoken to and officials that I've heard speaking publicly, they've made it very, very clear that this is no glitch in the matrix. This is real. They've actually said, this is real. Uh, and I think that's a complete game changer. And so when people say to me, oh, Ross, do you believe in UFOs? I say to them, that's an utterly stupid question because belief is an invitation to religiosity, religiosity, spiritual belief. <laughs> belief you know, um, if somebody asks yeah. me what I believe, that's not relevant to what I know. Um, what I make yeah. a judgment about as a journalist is based on evidence, facts. Yeah. I mean, the one gift we have from the Enlightenment, as many of my scientist colleagues observe, is the importance of taking a hypothesis and testing that hypothesis. Now, one of the problems with UAPs is they're not a replicable experiment. We can't make UAPs appear somewhere and then retest that theory that we've applied to them to try and explain them. But what we can do is use the power of observation. And one of the things that strikes me as a journalist is there has been a willful ignorance in mainstream media, media towards the subject of UAPs for many, many years. There's been a stigma, a ridicule, a taboo attached to the subject with complete bereft regard for the facts. And the facts show, especially in the last four years, that there has been a major backdown by the most powerful military on the planet, the American government. But more importantly, other governments have made the same signals. The Russians, I've spoken to members of the former Russian military uh, just in the last couple of weeks who've told me about other and extraordinary anomalous sightings that are a major national security issue for the Russians that have been for the last 50, 60 years. The British published a report called the Condine Report, C-O-N-D-I-G-N, and in that report, one of the things they reported were claims from witnesses, military witnesses, that um, aircraft, fighter aircraft of the Russians were brought down by a UFO. Um, there are multiple corroborated, multiple, you know, uh, independently witnessed, verified sightings of objects which have been tracked on radar, tracked on video, seen by, in some cases, hundreds of witnesses. And yet we adopt what I suspect is a wholly unscientific approach in the media to the subject. We ignore it. Now, why do we do that? 
And this is the question that I've been asked by people in very senior positions in the US military and defense and in scientific circles who say to me, we're, in, we're engaging with this. We think this is real. This is not something that we think can be idly dismissed. It's real. It's an anomalous phenomenon. And at least officially in the United States, publicly, they're asserting that it's a mystery to them. It requires investigation. And, and when I did investigate, when I looked in Australia, I discovered that there are indeed a plethora of unidentified objects that have been tracked on radar, seen by reliable witnesses, recorded in military documents, acknowledged, verified, observed, and yet we bury them into the slightly less significant papers, pages of our newspaper. We suppress the issue. Why do we do that? There's a clear, obvious mystery here that requires investigation, and it's official. The Pentagon says it's real. To what extent, Ross, uh, popular culture responsible for uh, that particular uh, approach to media? Because we know, we've seen the movie Independence Day, we've seen a range of movies over the years, Mars Attacks even. To what it, what it said, is popular culture responsible for the way the media thinks about it? Well, and look, you know, it's, it's not just an emanation from popular culture. Um, popular culture and indeed media coverage of this issue was moulded, I tell you, and the evidence is there in the CIA's own library, in the Defence Department of the US's own files. The evidence is there overwhelmingly to show that sections of the US government made it a deliberate policy to mould popular culture's perception of the notion of these unidentified objects, to stigmatise them, to ridicule them, and to discourage public debate about the issue. And I don't know why, for sure, I have my theories, but I do believe there's been a cover-up. And I don't say that lightly. Journalists don't assert a cover-up very often. More often than not, it's an incompetent bureaucrat that's made some stupid decision that's led to essentially something being suppressed that shouldn't have been. But there is an abundance of evidence to show, going right back to World War II, that the United States in particular, but also Australia, have presided over instances of cover-up where officials in our intelligence and defence services have acted to suppress public investigation and inquiry into the phenomenon. Which leads to, the, I guess, the conclusion that the journalists have got a bit of work to do in shaking that tendency uh, of disbelief and actually inquiring further. Well, look, Tom, I'll give you an example. I mean, just as recently as yesterday, I had a phone conversation with a submariner, a guy who's worked on submarines for a particular country. I'm not going to say which one. And he told me about a detection system that is used to detect Russian and Chinese submarines, which is deployed in both the Indian and Pacific Oceans. And he told me how what are known as USOs, underwater submerged objects, unexplained phenomena, gigantic, clearly metallic objects returning a clear sonar signature consistent with a, a large vehicle of some kind, 
have been returned all over these areas of ocean. And they're traveling at hundreds of knots, far faster than any known human technology. These objects are moving underwater and detected on these arrays, these detection arrays that our national security services use, um, in ways that cannot be explained. And this is a mystery that's been around, known by submariners for many decades. They've been out there for many, many years encountering these strange objects. Um, I've spoken to people in the United States and also in Australia and also in France and Britain who've told me that our satellites regularly detect what are called fast walkers, objects that are moving often in orbit or into our atmosphere that are not known space objects. They're apparently intelligently controlled. They're manoeuvring, changing direction, changing speed. Those aren't things that are consistent with just dumb meteors or comets or rocks of some kind or space debris. These are unexplained objects, mysteries that require investigation. And the thing I'm really happy about is that there are scientists inside the United States Defense Department and intelligence infrastructure who've been good enough to speak to somebody like me and say that this is real. And in the time that I've been researching this phenomenon, fortuitously, the Pentagon has been forced to publicly admit that that's the case. It is real. In April of 2020, they were forced to admit that the three videos leaked to the New York Times were incapable of prosaic explanation. And then only just over a month ago, the Congress was formally told in a preliminary report of the UAP task force that there is a genuine mystery that requires further investigation. And money, resources and staff are now being allocated from within the Congress to ensure that that's done. Because one thing that the report acknowledged that's very, very significant is that contrary to what we were being told in Project Blue Book, this is, they admit, a potential national security threat to the interests of the United States. It's definitely a threat to flight safety because there's been 11 near misses involving fighter jets and these weird objects. And more importantly, it's not capable of prosaic explanation. They've already gone through the weather balloon, drone, rockets, space objects explanations, and they can't use those explanations to explain this phenomena. And that's important. Is this a sign, Ross, and I'm mindful of the time, um, that we need to be more comfortable at looking at things as we are at the moment with the coronavirus. We need to get more comfortable reporting things that have a level of uncertainty about them and actually acknowledge that uncertainty, that lack of clarity. No, look, I, I think the big lesson of the coronavirus, and I commend the work of Sherry Markson of The Australian, who a, a lot of my colleagues in the media prefer to hate. They've got this kind of hate mentality, this kind of anti-news limited, weird tribal media loathing that says that nobody will take seriously anything that's published by one particular news organisation. What the media has been guilty of, both in the subject of UAPs and in the subject of COVID-19, is thinking as a pack. And it's a big problem in the media. You know, we all like to think that the media are kind of independent, well-resourced, 
clever people who go around digging and looking for detail. More often than not, the media I've discovered is basically just following a hunch that it's looking at because it's read other stuff in the newspaper. Very few people actually think in a contrarian way and go, you know what, what does the evidence say? And so the big lesson, I think, with COVID-19 is that the media, notably people in the ABC and the Sydney Morning Herald Fairfax Press, they set out to suppress coverage of the fact that there were indeed legitimate concerns about the origins of the COVID-19 virus. Um, I don't know yet the truth or the, the accuracy of the claims that it emanated through either an accidental or a deliberate discharge from the Wuhan laboratory, but that should be investigated. And the fact that the media colluded in what was essentially an argumentum ad hominem, a denigratory attack on journalists that sought to ask for that to be investigated, is just frankly appalling. And I think it speaks very badly about the state of modern media. You know, the media should be ashamed of itself. It, it stopped thinking independently. It started thinking as a pack. It allows itself to be guided. I mean, another area that is incredibly controversial, and I say this at huge risk to my own reputation because people will no doubt attack me for saying it, but as The Australian and other newspapers internationally have reported just recently, there are huge flaws in the mathematical modelling, the algorithms that are used to assess the effects of anthropogenic human-caused global warming. That's not to say that human-caused global warming isn't happening. But it's important scientifically that we look at claims that are being made about global warming because countries are being asked to sacrifice an enormous amount in their economies to cut the amount of carbon they admit based on assertions of mathematical models that we now know to be flawed. But do you think that an argument like that can get into mainstream media? Very, very rarely. And the reason why is because the, the media is colluding in not discussing this issue. There's become a kind of an argument that a majority of scientists on the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, they say a majority of scientists say blah. And indeed, some media people have actually said that the views of contrarian scientists who argue differently should be suppressed. In fact, one idiot went so far as to suggest that there should be criminal sanctions placed on journalists who assert different views to the views of the IPCC. We are entering very, very dangerous times in media at the moment. And it's not just in relation to the issue of UAPs or COVID-19 or climate change. The media has lost its way. It really has. It's, it's, it's not as effective as it ever used to be, if it ever was effective. And it's got to rediscover the importance of taking contrarian views of thinking outside the square, because we don't do that anymore. But, but, but we should. what you're actually saying, not necessarily contrarian views, but actually applying the pure definition of an investigation, which is um, yeah, assume nothing and believe no one, and assess the evidence. Absolutely. Ross, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Please, let, let, can you let people who listen to this or watch this know where they can get In Plain Sight? Oh, you can buy In Plain Sight, an investigation into UFOs and impossible science from all good bookshops. There's a discounted copy available at Booktopia. 
Um, in the US, it'll be available on October the 19th. In the UK, it's been available as of right now. It's being released into bookshops as I speak in the United Kingdom and into Europe. Um, you can watch my uh, video, the film that I made for the Channel 7 Spotlight program on the 7 Spotlight news feed on YouTube. And um, uh, anybody who's more interested in engaging with me or wanting to hear more about what my research is taking me into is welcome to go to my website, www.inplainsight-book.com. Or you can just go to rosscoulthart.com and you'll find me there as well. Ross, uh, I appreciate your time. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a real pleasure, Tom. All the best.